I'm glad that you're with us today. If you just join us, I want to I want to remind you we are in week seven of this book called the story, and what it is is a chronological. It's made up of chronological segments of scripture taken directly from the NIV, and and the point of it is to give us an overview of the entire Bible. And if you're here with us in, this morning, you don't have a copy of this yet. I want to let you know after the service. Please walk down this hall. We have these copies. They are free. They don't cost you anything. It's just part of what we're doing for you. We want you to join in with us. And I want to tell you, it's not too late to join in either. If, if you haven't started yet, just, just jump in. Next week you'll be reading week eight, and so that's where you will begin. Today we are studying a new character in our timeline, and that comes on the bookmark there. And that new character, his name is Joshua. And we were introduced to Joshua over the last three weeks as we studied the life of Moses. Joshua was kind of Moses' understudy. And oftentimes, in fact, it says that as, as Moses would go to meet with the Lord face to face, check this out, this is really cool. Joshua was always there. He was the one that was allowed in the tent. And so this is what Exodus thirty three eleven says. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, get this, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And so Joshua, very early on, was, was there in the presence of, Lord, of the Lord. And you also remember maybe that Joshua was one of the 12 spies that was sent over into the promised land to check things out. In fact, it was, it was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, we can take the land. But as we studied last week, you remember the other 10 spies, they spread a bad report. Um, the lack of faith on the behalf of the Israelite people led to 40 years of wandering in the desert. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been wondering, you weren't with us last week, you've kind of been feeling like you've been wandering. I want to encourage you to go online, check out last week's sermon. All of our sermons in this series are online, fbcelgin.org. We also have a podcast available that you can listen to there on iTunes. So they wander for 40 years. Everyone over the age of 20 dies, including Moses, remember. And that's kind of where our story picks up this morning now the mantle of leadership is going to pass from Moses on to this man named Joshua. So before we study Joshua's life, join me in a word of prayer if you don't mind. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to be here. And thank you for the promise that you have made to your people. That we do not have to wander about this life aimlessly. We do not have to stay slaves to sin and death. We have been set free, and we have been set free with a purpose, and that purpose is to experience the promised life that is available in Christ Jesus. Jesus, would you be lifted up this morning in all that we do? Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and take your proper place in this church as its teacher and its guide. Lift up Jesus, and as you do, Jesus, would you please draw all of us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to be in Joshua chapter 1, um, 1 through 9. If you have your copy of the story, I'm just going to be reading starting on page 89, and we will read on to page 90. It is the very beginning of this story of Joshua. And this is what it says. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... <coughs> Excuse me, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. 
I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. What a promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua, 40 years later, we find him and he is still full of faith. He's still full of faith. And so he hears the Lord's calling on his life and he uh, listens to the Lord and he sends two spies into the promised land to check out this place called Jericho. And I think it's interesting. I think Joshua learned his lesson. He doesn't send 12 spies. He sends two, right? He's learned from past mistakes. So he sends two spies to check out Jericho. And he sends them to check out Jericho because Jericho is the oldest and most fortified city in the entire region. And so the spies go, uh, they, 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 they sneak into Jericho to get some information. That information comes via a prostitute named Rahab who says, listen, our people are freaking out about you guys and about your God. So when you take over this city, would you please remember me and my family? So the spies return. Joshua is encouraged by the report. He says, let's go. God, of course, paves the way miraculously. He stops the Jordan River. They cross over on dry ground. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the second crossing on dry ground that God provides for His people. And then God gives them the curious battle plan for Jericho. They obey, they listen, they do exactly what God says, and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And the rest of the story that you read this week is really just the story of God giving them the rest of the region of the promised land. And it's about how God fights for them in amazing ways. Everything from, from hailstorms that take out opposing enemies to the longest day in the history of the world where the sun actually stood still so that they had more time to chase the enemies out of the land. And the question for us is the same question we have every week. What does it have to do with us? As we study the Bible, we've got to ask that question all the time. What what does it have to do with us? And and this morning, I believe the text has a lot to do with us. And so three things I want to share with you this morning. And here is the first. The first thing this morning I want you to understand is that the promised abundant life in Christ is real and available, even though it often seems unattainable. The promised abundant life in Christ is real and available, even though it often seems unattainable. And I want to remind you of something that we see in this movement. Remember, the story is made up of several movements. The first movement was the movement of the garden or the story of creation. The second movement is the story of Israel, where God is building this new nation. And as we began this study, I reminded you of this truth here. 
Every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus, right? The one who will provide a way back to God. And so all of this has to do with Jesus. All of this points to Jesus. So this story about the Israelites uh, entering into the promised land, it actually points to Jesus. And it's a foreshadowing of, of what is to come for those of us that are in Christ. We don't enter into a promised land. We enter into a promised life. And that promised life, Jesus speaks of in John 10.10. 10. He says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Literally, that you might have it more abundantly. Okay? And Jesus says it this way in John chapter 15. I'm going to read um, from my Bible, John 15, 1 through 8. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so the promised life of God in Christ, John 10.10, is an abundant life. John 15 is an abundantly fruitful life. Just like the promised land was, was abundantly full of, of fruit, physical fruit, so the life that God intends for us in Christ is, is full of abundant fruit. But not physical fruit, spiritual fruit, rather. Galatians 5 says it this way, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We, when we abide in Christ, our lives should be abundantly full. That overflowing is, is John 10.10. 10. It means to the rim and then overflowing. That, that it should be overflowing with love and overflowing with joy and overflowing with peace and overflowing with forbearance. That's patience, people. Patience. Christians, patience in traffic. Patience with your children. Patience when you're waiting on the bathroom because you have too many people living in your house. It should be abundantly flowing with kindness and abundantly flowing with goodness and abundantly flowing with faithfulness and abundantly flowing with gentleness and abundantly flowing with self-control. It's the fruit of this spirit of walking, keeping in step with God. When we abide in Christ, our lives should be marked by abundant spiritual fruit, Galatians 5. But we, like the Israelites, have a problem, don't we? Though we know that that life is out there, we've studied those passages before, we've heard of Galatians 5 before, we've read John 10, 10 before, we've read John 15 before, though we know the truth of God's Word, our hearts fail us, don't they? They, they fill with doubt and, and with fear. Though we are not staring down the physical walls of Jericho, which, by the way, were daunting. It had two walls. One of them was somewhere between 20 and 26 feet. The second wall was an astounding 46 feet tall. You're standing and you're staring 
almost up into the heavens, it seems, and you're going, there's no way I'm getting over that. Though we don't face the physical walls of Jericho, we very much face our own barriers. And those barriers are every bit as daunting, right? We face walls of guilt. We face walls of shame. We, we, we face walls of past mistake, walls of regret, walls of inadequacy, walls of fear, walls of failure. And that's why the lessons that we learn from the life of Joshua are so important. They're so relevant to us today because God's message to us today is the exact same message that he spoke to Joshua some 3,400 years ago. He says this, Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not what? Be afraid. Do not be what? Discouraged by your past, by your failures, by your fears. Do not be discouraged. For what? The Lord God will be with you wherever you go. Listen to me, friend. I I love you. Do not let yourself be fooled. God did not rescue you from Egypt. He did not save you from sin and death so that you could just wander in the wilderness. Jesus didn't come to earth and become the God-man and die on the cross, taking upon himself the payment of of our sin so that we could live a ho-hum life where we constantly feel like we are stuck in between. You are meant for Canaan. You are meant for the promised land. You are designed for a promised life. One that is full, that is marked by spiritual abundance. Unspeakable intimacy with God as He reigns in the very center of your lives through the Holy Spirit, constantly calling you to press on, promising that you will overcome because He will fight for you. Because He has the power to make the mightiest walls Come tumbling down. Come tumbling down. The promise, abundant life in Christ is real and it is available. It's huge. Number two. Second lesson I believe we learn as we study the life of Joshua is this. The Lord's way always works even when it doesn't make sense, right? The Lord's way always works, even when it doesn't make sense. And I just want you to try to imagine with me what that conversation between God and Joshua must have been like, right? God is like, hey, Josh, listen, you're going to be the guy. And Joshua's like, yes, Lord. And he's like, Joshua, are you listening? I've got some instruction. Joshua probably gets out his little tablet. And he's like, all right, Lord, I am listening. I'm going to write it all down. And Joshua's like, okay. And God's like, okay, cool, Josh. Listen, it's a three-phase plan. Ready? And Joshua's like, yes, Lord. What is phase one? He's probably thinking, we're going to craft some great weaponry. We're going we're to make some swords. We're going to build some, like a trebuchet or a catapult. He's just ready like, Lord, what are we going to do first? And God's like, all right, Joshua, go find a prostitute. What, Lord? So yeah, go send a couple guys in the land. The Lord knows they're going to find Rahab. That's part of God's upper story, by the way. Rahab's part of God's upper story. He knows the spies are going to go look for information and they're going to find Rahab. God is literally saying, hey, Joshua, step on, go find a prostitute. It's like the beginning to a really bad boat joke, right? I mean, two Jews and a prostitute walk into a bar. 
This is the beginning of God's battle plan. Right? And so he's, he's, Joshua's going to be thinking, Lord, are you serious? Like a prostitute, really? And God's like, yeah, just, just go. Send the guys. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. And so, okay, okay, Lord, wait, what, is, what, is, what is phase two of your plan, I wonder? Um, what, what, what is phase two? And then God's like, okay, here's phase two, Joshua. Write this down. Ready? Um, I want you to put together a marching band. Wait, wait, hold on. Did you say a marching band? He said, yes, a marching band. That's what we're going to do. Okay, phase one, it's going to be a seven-day marching band competition, Joshua. That's what it's going to have. He said, Lord, are you sure? Like, like, we need swords. We need weaponry. We need catapults. We need something. And God's like, no, just trust me, Joshua. Just get the guys and get the art and just march, man. Just march, okay? Just march. And so they play a little music. They march. Joshua's like, all right, Lord, what is phase three of the plan? How are we going to scale the walls? 46 feet, Lord, where do we find enough trees? Are we going to build ladders? I mean, what are, what are we going to do? Are we going to ram them from below? I mean, Lord, what is phase three? How do we overcome these unscalable walls? God's like, okay, here's phase three, Joshua. You're going to shout. Just yell real loud. God, are you, are you, like, what about the catapult, Lord? I want to build the catapult. I want to trebuchet. I, I, want, to, I want to ram the walls. Like, like what do you mean? We're going to shout? And God's like, yeah, you're just going to shout. You're going to walk around seven times on the seventh day, and you guys are just going to let out a loud shout, and the wall is going to come tumbling down. All right? The oldest, most fortified city and, and Joshua listens. And, and I, I mean, this is crazy, right? This is absolutely crazy, but it works. They, they, obey, they, they obey God. They, they believe God, even though the plan is pretty unbelievable. And God moves. I mean, God literally moves a mountain. Jericho was a mountain. It was a built-up, fortified city. God literally moves the mountain, and, and the entire uh, side wall collapses, and it makes a ramp by which they just... Walk right up into the city. The Lord's plan, his unbelievable way worked. And here's what I want you to get today. Maybe if you don't get anything else. It always does. It always does. Throughout the rest of the story and even in our own lives, this principle is true. The Lord's way always works, even when it doesn't make sense. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. How, Lord? I don't even have a child. I'm going to give you a child. Well, when's that child coming, Lord? Well, eventually it's going to come, Abraham. Now you're a hundred, and I know things aren't working real well, but God bless you. And he says, now, Abraham, I want you to take the child, the only child, your only son, through whom all the blessings are going to come, and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, what do you mean? You want me to sacrifice him? That doesn't make sense, God. But, but he goes through with it, and there upon that mountain, Abraham learns a lesson that we're still trying to grasp today that the Lord is the provider of all. In fact, that whole mountain range is now called the the place where the Lord provides, right? He says to Moses, Moses, I want you to hold out your staff. And Moses is going, God, I don't think you understand our situation. I don't need a staff. I need a sword, man. Because the enemy has hemmed us in and there is nothing but a sea behind us. We're all going to drown. I don't need a staff. I need a sword, God. And God says, hold out your staff. And he holds out a staff and the waters part. And they walk across on dry ground. He says to Joshua, march, 
Just march. And, and on the seventh day, I just want you to shout, Joshua. And Joshua's going, Lord, that's not going to do anything. Like, shouting doesn't work here. We need a catapult. We need a trebuchet. We need to ram the walls. And God says, shout. And so Joshua shouts, and the walls come crumbling down. And the New Testament, Peter has to pay some taxes. He's a little behind. I hope you guys aren't there. And, and so he comes to Jesus and says, what do I do? I've got to pay some taxes. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, just go catch a fish. Catch a fish, Lord. I, you don't understand. I need to pay taxes. And Jesus is like, Peter, just throw a line. He throws a line. He catches a fish. And in the fish is a coin that is worth enough to pay all of his taxes. People come to Jesus. They want eternal life. And Jesus says, you want eternal life? You've got to lose your life. Somebody says to the Lord, Lord, I need more money. And God says to them, well, then tithe. And they say, no, Lord, I don't think you understand. I need more money. I don't need to give more away. And God says, listen, trust me in this and tithe and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. What I'm saying to you is this. When God speaks, don't just listen. Actually do what he says. If he tells you to come and walk the aisle and join the church, then you walk the aisle and join the church. If he says, listen, I want you to get baptized, and I don't care that you're 50, that you're 60, that you're 70. I want you to get baptized. Then you come and you get baptized, right? God tells you to break off a bad relationship, then you have to listen to him no matter what the circumstances are. I have people come and counsel with me, and they say, like, this relationship isn't working, but we're dependent upon each other financially. I say, you don't think God will provide for you if you decide to break off this relationship that is not godly? God will bless you. You just have to obey him. Somebody says, my marriage is struggling. And, and, and the reading and the Holy Spirit convicts them that they need to pray for the partner. And they're like, no, God, I, I, you don't understand. I don't want to pray for my partner. I don't even want to talk to my partner. Telling you, if God says pray for your partner, you better do it, and it will work. God's ways always work. They don't have to make sense. We are not called to be a people of sight. We're called to be a people of faith. And we walk by faith, not by sight. The Lord's way always works, even when they don't make sense. Last lesson. This morning, I want you to understand that it takes courage to step into the promised life of God and to receive our inheritance. Our inheritance. Max Licato, in his book, Glory Days, which is a book that's based on a study of Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter one of his, his book is entitled, Inherit Your Inheritance. And the premise of his book is that the word inheritance, as we read it in the very first chapter of Joshua, that um, the, the premise of his book is that the word of inheritance is, is the central word of the book of Joshua. It, it appears first there in chapter 1. The next time we find it is not until um, chapter 11, but I want to show you this in chapter 1. Uh, God says this. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, uh, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land. I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you're, uh, where you set your foot as, as I promised to Moses. And it's going to go on and speak of inheritance. Notice the language. God says, I will give you. God doesn't say you will take. God doesn't say you will earn. God does not say through your efforts and your mighty wisdom, you will conquer. God says, I am giving to you. I am giving to you this land. The actual word inheritance appears the second time, uh, in Joshua eleven twenty three, where God says this, So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and then he gave it as an inheritance. 
to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Now, that's the second time it appears, but it appears 49 more times through the remainder of the book. The word inheritance appears 51 times in the book of Joshua. Do you think God's trying to make a point? This is not a story about one nation's great military um, defeat of an entire region, as some have thought. No, this is a story about how God fought for a special group of people, how God fought for uh, people that he called his children, and how God won the victory. Israel merely had to believe God and to receive their inheritance. Hear me, the truth that God was giving it to them did not mean that they did not need courage. We can know the truth of God's word and that this is given to us as a blessing, uh, that this is something that is meant for us that has nothing to do with our own performance, that we, we can't provide it for ourselves. We can know that it's of God and that God is blessing us, that he's giving it to us, but the walls are still real, friends. And the giants are too. By the way, that's one of the key indicators that you know you're following close to the Lord. There are always giants in the promised land. Always large problems that seem like you can't handle them on your own. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to press ahead in spite of fear. And courage is what is required if we are going to receive our inheritance in Christ. And we are going to truly experience the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Now somebody says, Pastor, I don't, I don't understand that concept. What do, you, what do you mean that we have an inheritance in Christ? I, I just don't understand it. Well, the Apostle Paul lays out a great argument in, um, in Romans chapter 8. He says this. He says, if we are children, that's what we are, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his Glory, First Peter says that we have an inheritance that can never perish. Again, the word inheritance. The promised life of God means that we get to share with Christ all that belongs to Him. We get to share with Christ all that belongs to Him, right? To Him be the glory. And we get to share in that, right? We get to share in His riches. We get to share in His rewards. We get to share in His blessings. It is literally our right as children of God. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what He has done for us. He has given us life, life abundantly. That's the best summation of that. So what what do we do and with that message, how do we pack that up? And I, I want to I help you pack it up this morning. I have um, three questions um, that we're going we're gonna to look at and we're going to enter into. And so I'm just going to ask Brother Allen to come up and... and uh, um, oh, you don't have a guitar this morning, do you? Oh, okay, you're going to do it right there. He's going to come down. And uh, just like God, God comes down. Um, Allen's going to play for us just for a minute. And just three questions for reflection that I want you to look at this morning. Um, and here's the first question, and, and, and the reason Alan's going to play is because this really is our time of response as, as we finish the message and we th- unpack the message and try to take it home. On the back side of your sermon notes are going to be three questions, and I'm going to walk you through those questions. I'm going to talk to you about each of those questions for a moment. But then I'm going to ask you to prayerfully answer those questions right there where you are. Just in a moment of prayer, we're going to give you enough time to work through each three um, and I, I just want you to work with it. So here's the first question, I think, when we talk about taking the story home. The very first thing we need to ask ourselves is this, right? Here's the first question. What is my wall? 
What, what, what is my 46-foot barrier between me and receiving this inheritance, this, this abundant life that Jesus says is available for me? Like, what is keeping me from that? Why, why is my life not uh, overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control? What is in between that? And what may be in between that, maybe, maybe your wall is something like we, we talked about. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's a whole life of past mistakes. And you think there is no way based on who I am and what I've done, that I could actually live that kind of life in Christ. That's, that's just for the super saints. No, my friends, that abundant life in Christ is for any sinner that repents and turns to Jesus. And say, well, I, I, for me, that, that abundant life, is it, it, the, the block is worry and anxiety. And every time I want to do all these things that I feel like God is calling me to, I'm just captivated by anxiety and by fear. It seems like it's unscalable. And you know what? It would be unscalable if you were the one that had to do the scaling. It would be undefeatable if you were the one that had to do the defeating. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe that's the wall. You stare at it. You just don't. I, don't. I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of sin habit. We talked about that wandering, that repetitive pattern of sin in our lives. So what I want you to do, just in a moment of prayer, for a moment, bow your head and just say, Lord, would you show me my walls? You may have more than one. Right? They did. Jericho had more than one wall. Would you just bow your head in spirit of prayer? Lord, would you show me what is holding me back from all of you? from experiencing the life that you say that I could have. God, would you show me right now? And as he just reveals it to you in a spirit of prayer, I just want you to fill out that question right there. Just, just answer it. Just write it down when you're ready. When the Lord reveals it to you, when you write it down, maybe it's an aha moment for you. And you go, oh my gosh, how did I not see that the whole time? (laughs) Maybe he surprises you. When you feel like the Lord reveals it to you and you've got an answer, then I just want you to quietly just look up here. That'll be my signal. You guys kind of know. You may have to take it home and pray over it this week. That's fine. Okay. So here's the second question. We have to ponder. We've got to get it. Ready? Here's the second question. Is God bigger than my wall? Do we believe that? 
And we can say, yeah, God is bigger than my wall. We have to believe it, friends. I mean, this is, this is gut-level buy-in. <laughs> this, is, this is skin in the game. This is God. I've, I, 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 this is the thing that is keeping me from all that you have promised me, this thing. And today, here and now, I declare you are bigger than that. You are bigger than that. You just have to answer that question in your spirit. Is God bigger? Right? Is God bigger? And if God is, then friends, we've got to move in obedience. It's like what we talked about last week. We talked about that repetitive sin problem. Some of us, our lives have been defined by this one battle, by this one struggle. And when I said it you last week, you remember? It's time to move on. Just get on with life. Just leave it behind. Just dig the sucker up. Kill it and just move on. The same is true when it comes to these walls. Once we have identified what is holding us back from God, at some point, if we believe God is bigger, then we have to charge ahead. We have to move towards spiritual abundance. We have to say, Jesus, I am trusting you to bring down this barrier and I am going to begin to walk again. No more standing here staring. No more. I'm going to move forward in faith. I'm going to trust you to bring these walls down. Just brings us to our last question. What do I choose? I love the book of Joshua because I love how it ends. To this point in the story, we've learned that there is a God who is always working in an upper story to bring about good. And this God is sovereign. He is in control. And yet somehow in his sovereignty, he has created this tension where he allows his children to make choices. So Joshua is about to die at the end of the book of Joshua. And he says to the people, he gathers them together and he's like, I'm telling you right now that abundance lies only in God. That is the only place you will find fulfillment, he says to his people. You can only find fulfillment in God. But, he says, you have to make the choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham's forefathers, the God's over on the other side of the river, are you going to continue to be idol worshippers? Are you going to continue to to trust the culture around you? Or are you going to be worshipers of God? Choose this day whom you will serve. And, And this is what I love. We have that same power to choose today. Every moment that we bow our heads and we come before our Heavenly Father, we are faced with a choice. Do we take Him at His word? Do we believe that the walls can come crumbling down? Or, like the Israelites did last week, do we let our fears keep us captive? Keep us from pressing into God and experiencing everything that He has for us. That, my friends, is called wandering. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, you don't have to do it anymore. Today could be the day of spiritual breakthrough for you. Today could be the day that that thing that has plagued you for years and years that you've always looked to and said, I can just never be like those other people because of this. Today, if you believe that God is bigger, and by the way, that is key. 
when you're standing in front of that wall in your life, what are you thinking in that moment? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. There's no way I can get through this. Isn't that what you're thinking? There's no way that I can get through the loss of my father. There's no way that I'm ever going to be the same. There's no way that I can lead this church, God. There's no way that me can do these things. There's no way. And here's the problem when we're facing a daunting wall, a daunting barrier before us. We look at how big the barrier is and we focus on how small we are. We need to look at the wall and then think about how big God is. (laughs) And if we will just shift our focus, God can do the same miracles in our life that he has done throughout the history of his children. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. We haven't had an invitation in a while, folks. It's the 830 service. We're trying to get through entire books of the Bible here. We're going to have an invitation this morning. I'm going to ask you to think of that place that you are right now as the place that you've been standing, staring at the wall that you feel like you can't overcome. I'm just going to ask this morning, do you believe that God is bigger than your wall? And if you do, I'm just going to ask you to take a step, to take a roll, (laughs) whatever we got to do, forward. It doesn't have to be all the way forward. You can, you can get out and step one step forward. Say, I'm, I'm, today's the first step in entrusting you, Jesus. Today's going to be the day. But for some of you, God has revealed some things to you. You need to be praying for your wife. Some of you men, you're like, man, I, me and my wife, we're not even talking right now. You better be praying for her. God said it. Right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Get over your pride. Just do it. Some of you, maybe he's calling you to baptism, or to join in the church, those kind of, whatever it is, and you I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Now today, I'm going to ask you to step out in courage and to actually do it. So stand with me wherever you are. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just consecrate this moment. Holy Spirit, we're your people. We are children of God. And here we stand today, hearing the call of God, which says, move forward in faith. Step forward in faith. God, whatever that wall is that we have been struggling with, that we have um, truly been afraid of, we, we say we can't do this, there's no way. Today, let us fix our eyes not on how small we are, but on how big you are. And let us find peace there as we trust you to overcome the barriers that have lied between us and the promised life you say we can have in Jesus. No more ho-hum life for us, God. Today, would this mark a new journey in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. And as Alan, he's just going to play, and this is just our invitation, spirit of invitation. If you are physically able and you can take a step forward, you're ready to pursue God. You can come out the aisle, you can come down here and pray. You can just move to the pew in front of you. I don't care. Just symbolically, just say to God, okay, I'm up and I'm trusting you. You're bigger than my wall. And we're going to give you a few minutes to just let that happen, all right?
Chris. we pray together just right here where we are just pray with me just pray this prayer no matter where you are just pray this prayer with me God I believe you're bigger and today this week sometime I'm going to trust you and I'm going to move forward and together we are going to break through this barrier I want abundance in my life Holy Spirit, fill me, transform me, change me. Please, Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.